The content of this recording is copyrighted by Sandler Systems, LLC. All rights reserved. This is the Building Blocks of Success with Glenn Matson. Here we are, Season 4, Episode 3. Today we're going to be taking a look at the shadow of a leader. I've spent oh, 30 years working with well over 15,000 entrepreneurs, training well over 200,000 individuals, and spent a lot of time, obviously, with entrepreneurs, managers, leaders, divisional heads, territory managers, etc. Lots of them. And like anything else that you do with tenure time, you're going to start to see patterns. Patterns of individuals that are characteristics that lead to success and characteristics and behaviors and beliefs that lead to, honestly, disaster or lack of success. A lot of times people have the desire and the commitment of being a good leader and, and, and getting to the business to the next level or the team, but many of them don't really have a GPS or, a, or an actual list of things that you really got to take a look at as a leader. And you know, being a player on the team and being a leader of the team is two different things. And you have certain responsibilities and certain actions and certain behaviors and values that the leader is going to have to really embrace to make sure that the people that are on the team will want to follow. Let me tell you what I mean. When you look at a leader, a leader, an entrepreneurial, a manager of a team, whatever it is, but for right now, we're just going to call you an entrepreneurial leader. You have a hat of supervision. You have a hat, a trainer, coach, a mentor, selling, right? Sales hat, the recruiter developer, onboarder, but you also have compliance, CFO, et cetera. All these roles are based on relationship. Only one is based on authority. The one that's based on authority is really supervision. And supervision is making sure that the individual is performing the tasks at hand and they fit within the context of the group. There's two really two pieces, right? They measure, they monitor, but that's based on authority. A trainer and a coach coach for sure, right? mentors, recruiter, really based on relationship. So what I wanted to do was put together a short order of things that I have found really to be critical with those that have that gravitational pull of the team. We've all been there before when we've had a team leader that they would tell us to do something and honestly, you didn't really want to follow them for various different reasons. And there's those that will, will say, we're going up that hill, we're going that door, we're going wherever. And you would run as fast as you can right behind them because you believed. So I want to share with you, you know me, a kind of a, a number guy and a list person. And not all lists always fit with everybody. But if you can pull one thing out of the list and it helps you, I think it's going to be monumental. So let's take a look at just a few things that we have. Now, the first thing I'd like you to do is kind of a Matsonism. And it basically says this. And think about it for a second. The team can only be as strong and as large as the shadow of its leader. Think about that for a second. Whoever the leader is, if they're tiny, they don't very tall, they're not very strong, it's a very small shadow. But if you do have strong leader, powerful leader, with regards to respect, they present a very large shadow. So always remember, the team can only be as big and strong as the shadow of its leader. Are you casting a good shadow? Where's your shadow small? See, the average person is okay following others. That's the average person. I'm not saying they're sheep, not saying that they're followers and they're aimless little you know, robots by any means. But what I'm saying is, is the average person would prefer 
to be part of a group, be part of a team, be part of a unity, than to be the leader. Being in front of the parade is a very lonely place to be. You have to make all the hard decisions, to make most of the decisions that are never going to make you popular. It's tough, but that's the choice that you made. So if you're going to make that choice, then be the best at it you can. Now, I'm going to go through this list. It's only seven, and I am sure there's more. Absolutely. And I'm sure that I would love to hear from you on what some others would be. And I'll add to the list as we go. But I have these seven because of the meetings that were in the last three or four days with about a, roughly about 280 to 300 different size leaders of different size businesses. And it was glaring to me what made them be respected and wanted to be followed. And I want to share the list with you now. First of all, the list is not in any order. The first one's not more important than the third one. And again, this is my list. First is respect. If you want respect, you got to give respect. Now, respect doesn't mean you're a pushover. Respect doesn't mean that you don't confront people. You don't deal with issues. And that congratulating, right? And that's giving people strokes. Respect is respect. We all know what that means. And right now, what I want to do is spend our time on time. And what I mean by that is respect time. You must start every meeting on time. If you have a meeting at one o'clock, you don't turn on your Zoom at 105. If you have a staff meeting and it's at one o'clock, you don't show up at 115 and expect everyone to be sitting there waiting for you as if you're the grand poopa. And for God's sakes, you better not use an excuse by saying, oh, I was busy or I was late. What is that? It's just saying that you're busier than they are or you're more important than they are. So the respect piece is I respect your time. I respect what you have to do and how you have to get it done. So start every meeting that you have on time, sales meetings, staff meetings, one-on-one -on -one meetings, start on time. And need be, you end on time, okay? So if it's a 30-minute meeting, you start on time and you end on time. And you'll start to notice that your team will automatically expect you to start on time and end on time. They'll also prepare themselves to start and end on time. So when we look at respect for right now, I want you to take a look at how you respect your time and that of others. Do you believe since you own the business, your name's in the front door, that your time is more valuable than somebody else's? Is that what you're trying to convey as a leader? That they're not as valuable as you? Time is more valuable than theirs? Come on, respect. Respect time. That's number one. Number two, be prepared. Can't tell you how embarrassing it is or haphazard it is when you have a meeting the leader, the owner shows up five minutes late, Herod, paper's not ready, stuff's everywhere. They can't find what they're looking for. What do you think that shadow is actually creating? Do you think that's creating a large shadow or do you think that's creating a small team, right? So when we look at someone who is not prepared, they don't have an agenda. They don't have action items after each meeting. They aren't driving those action items in between the meetings. There's nothing worse than having a meeting to figure out that we should have another meeting. So be prepared. Be prepared for your calls. Be prepared for your one-on-ones. Be prepared for your follow-ups. Be prepared for your sales calls. Being prepared is part of a cultural issue within a team. Same thing with respect of time. By showing your teams that no matter what meeting you have, you are very prepared. You can use websites for that, have different functions for that. But every meeting should have a pad. What I mean by pad is, what's the purpose of the meeting? 
what's the agenda of the meeting? And lastly is what's the decision that has to be made at the end of the meeting? So you really have to learn how to be prepared. If you teach them how to be prepared because you're prepared, they will follow suit. So make sure that we take a look at preparation. That's number two. Number three is equally important in my mind, if not even more. Honestly, it is more important, but time is important. So is preparation. The next one on top of that is excuses. One of the most frustrating things that I have found for leaders is cultures, they always say we want an accountability. We want more responsibility from our teams. We want more accountability from the teams. We want to have less excuses on why people are not getting certain things done. Sure, we all want that. Number one reason that most goals don't get accomplished inside of an organization is because excuses are made. It's by far one of the most rampant negative things that are happening inside companies, organizations, individuals, and groups is excuses. There's nothing worse than having your leader make an excuse on why they didn't do something. And then they turn around and hold you accountable or drag you up and down for not doing something that you should have been doing. You got to remember, being a leader is not about telling people what to do. Being a leader is doing what you expect them to do, but in your own role. You don't want your team to make excuses. How the heck do you expect you can make excuses? That doesn't make any sense. So as a leader, my gosh, you got to make sure you have a capability and the timing to make sure that we can really not make excuses from where we sit. If we stop making excuses, we will start to recognize excuses in others. And then the next step is after recognizing the excuses in others, that we won't accept them. Part of the issue is, is you're accepting excuses because you subconsciously make them. One of the best things to do is stop making excuses as an owner. And you make way more than you may think you do. That's number three. That's a monster. Number four is as a leader, you have to demonstrate how to deal with challenges. I've never been in any situation, 30 years of running my business, helping again, tons of people in the sales arena, well over 15,000 build their businesses. I've never found anyone to be successful that couldn't deal with challenges. You're going to have roadblocks. You're going to have challenges. You're going to have setbacks. Some are small, some are enormous. But when you hit a challenge, you got to ask yourself, man, what pops into your head? Is it, oh my God, here we go again. Whoop, I was almost successful. Or are you saying to yourself, every problem has a solution, every problem has a solution? Or are you sitting there saying, why me? So your ability mentally and how your scripts deal with challenges absolutely bleeds through your organization. If your team sees that you go off on the deep end, if your team sees that when a challenge happens, you get all emotional and you start walking around the office, the world's going to come to an end and it's your fault. You should have done this. Why didn't we do this? Demonstrating to them exactly what you expect them to do. That when something doesn't go right, it's okay to go crazy. So dealing with challenges is that initial initial hit in the head when you get a good challenge, a good roadblock, a good knocked off the horse. How do you deal with it right then and there? Do you pause and say, look, Now's not the time to to blame anybody. Now's the time to fix the situation. Then we can come back and do some diagnostics. So are you showing your team what you're expecting them to do? Because again, you got to remember the rules is that your team will only listen to what you say with one ear, but they watch everything you do with two eyes. So number five 
is emotional involvement. And that really goes hand in hand with dealing with challenges. So when something doesn't go right, emotional involvement means that you get emotionally involved. That's panicking, anger, frustration, sadness, despair. Email comes in and doesn't look right. Someone said something. Someone didn't send something out on time. And you get emotional. You start yelling. You slam doors. You throw stuff around your office a little bit. Say out loud a couple of words so everyone can hear you, right? But if you're emotional and you're all over the place, again, your team is watching what you do. So if something comes bad and you and you don't deal with the challenges, and then all of a sudden you get super emotional about it, and then you come out and you're you're all over the place and you're angry and you're throwing stuff, right? Or just putting stuff down loudly. And all of a sudden you start making excuses on what happened. And, and then you sit back and can't understand why when something doesn't go right with your team, that they don't own it, that they don't take responsibility. I don't know why you're so shocked. So respect, respect time, be prepared, have a purpose for a meeting, make sure you have decisions, make sure you take notes so that meeting connect to another meeting. Also make sure that you realize that excuses are only excuses if they're accepted. So it's enormous. And we talked about dealing with challenges. And also the thing with dealing with challenges is really taking a look at how we handle emotion, especially when things don't go well. And those are big stuff. So those are the first five I want to share with you. Now, you got to realize too, man, right? When, when we talked about being prepared, I think it was a, a journal of the applied psychology Right, great, great, great uh, publication, by the way. Um, Journal of Applied Psychology. Inside there, they said that businesses lose thirty-one billion, thirty-one billion dollars a year due to unproductive meetings. Due to unproductive meetings, that's insane. It's a, such a huge, huge amount of money. Okay, now Harvard did a review that most executives. And this is something you may want to take a look at, right? Most business owners, executives spend an average of 23 hours, 23 hours a week in meetings, 23 hours. 71% will tell you that those meetings, 71% will tell you that of the meetings they went in on an average week, which is about 23 hours, okay, were unproductive and useless. So make sure that you're prepared. Make sure you have an agenda, you're prepared, drive execution at the end of each of your meetings. That leads me to number six. Number six is all about getting handling criticism. Now, when I talk about criticism, I want to make sure that we're on the same page. Criticism is areas for improvement. So criticism is about things that you could do better, different, start to do or stop to do. Yeah, sure, people may say it a certain way. They may, may be hurtful and they may be condescending or derogatory. But at the end of the day, criticism is the ability to give people advice on what to do better or different. And if you can't accept criticism or advice from your own team, if you can't accept how to get better from them, it doesn't even make any sense, by the way. So you expect them to listen. You expect them to get better. You expect them to... Yet, you don't. It doesn't make any sense. The last one I want to share with you is probably, by far, I think, one of the most impactful as a leader. Now, remember, the ones I'm giving you are huge, by the way, team. I'm just telling you, take a look at it as if you're running your own business. Take stock. Do you really respect time? Do you show up on time? Do you demand 
that you show up on time? Are you prepared? Are you prepared for the meetings? Are you prepared for follow-up? Are you prepared to make sure that you drive execution? Are you accepting excuses? Are you giving excuses? How are you when you deal with challenges? How are you when you, when things go sideways, man, how are you from an emotional standpoint? And when people give you feedback that you don't like, give you input that maybe you don't like called criticism, how do you deal with it? Here's the last one, dealing with failure. When you have a challenge and gets knocked you down or failure happens, what do you do? Do you analyze it? Do you get emotional? Are you stoic about it? Do you debrief yourself? Say, okay, we clearly got an outcome that was not what we were expecting. Let's take a quick diagnostic here and do the best we can to keep our emotions out. But let's ask ourselves a handful of questions to figure out if we have the wrong strategy, the wrong tactic, and or just what happened so we can learn from it. Because if we don't learn from it, it was just a double negative. We got to have the capacity to learn. So when we look at today, all the roles that managers have, I hope that this list of seven will give you some insights that even if you just work on one of them and then two and then three, right. But again, take a look at Respect, preparation, excuses, challenges, emotional balance, handling feedback and criticism, along with dealing with failure. Hopefully, these are going to give you some insights and ideas of either running your own shop, being in charge of your own shop, or running a team. And I don't even care if it's an athletic team. doesn't make a difference. Running a team, running a company, running an, a group of individuals, the same characteristics we just talked about. So stay tuned for more insights and strategies to elevate your personal and your professional life. And until then, you know, it's Glenn Matson signing off. Talk to you next time. Enjoy. This is the Building Blocks of Success with Glenn Matson.